If you haven't got a Bible, then it would be good to have one to able to follow me in the Scriptures. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 26 this morning. Psalm 26 is where we are this morning. <coughs> Let me just read the Scriptures then. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me, and examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers, and refuse to sit with the wicked I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, <clears throat> the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground in the great assembly. I will praise the Lord. <coughs> Amen. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you for the time that we spend in prayer before you. And we just pray, Lord, today for the situation in the Middle East. We hear of some kind of uh, military attack from America. And we pray that wisdom will be granted to leaders, Lord, at this particular time. And we know that the things can escalate and cause all kinds of trouble in Lebanon and Israel and other places. And we pray for Syria, we pray for Egypt, for these places where there's been so much terrible unrest and terrible uh, tragedy. We ask you, loving God that you would overrule and that you would touch the hearts of those in leadership and cause peace to reign in these areas. We pray for the protection of Jerusalem, Lord. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we are called to do in Scripture. And we pray not only for our world, but we pray, Lord, for our community. And we pray about these papers, these good newspapers that have been given out. And we ask, Lord, that the gospel that's clearly written there will be read and that people would respond and get to know you as Saviour and Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for this means of uh, sharing the good news. And we just pray a blessing upon all that's been given in the, in the letter box and that people would read them. And we thank you, Lord, for each other. We pray that you would inquire in our hearts, Lord, and see if there would be any wicked way in us. And creating us a clean heart today. And forgive us our sins. And help us to be drawn closer to the wounded side of Jesus. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you to open it at uh, Psalm 26. Somebody once said that we answer questions that nobody's asking. And that can be true. Trying to answer questions that nobody's asking. But I want us to look at Psalm 26 this morning as actually answers to questions that people are asking. 
especially those who want to have their integrity intact. And what we find in this psalm is quite uh, difficult at the beginning. It says in verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. And if you look at verse 11, But I lead a blameless life. And if you know the story of David, you'll know that David led anything but a blameless life in terms of his own moral character. There were times when he fell foul of the commandments of God and, and he just wasn't on the same wavelength as God would have him be. And so we're not talking here obviously about sinless perfection. And we want to ask ourselves, what's happening here in David's life as he writes this psalm? And there are various theories about what's happening in the background here. I think one of them is that some kind of false accusation is being leveled against David. And if you know the story of David really well, you know that between the anointing of David by Samuel and his enthronement as king, there were all types of terrible things being said about him by Saul. David, Saul has slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands. There was that terrible jealousy in Saul's heart that David was going to be greater than he ever could be and didn't want him to ascend to the throne. And so we find all these kind of false accusations that David was out to thwart the purposes of God and, and not to be in line with God. Saul's house, the, the descendants of Saul, they were the ones who were going to carry on the kingship. And when we think of these accusations leveled at David, we think of the way that David treated Saul. Those times that Saul was in the cave and, and David could easily have killed him. His servant, David's soldier, wanted to do that. Let's kill Saul. And David said, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Don't dare touch him. And so we find that there's all kinds of accusations coming at David. So instead of this psalm being one of these good days or a good week or a good month when everything's going really rosy and everything's fine, we find the opening was, Lord, will you vindicate me? Because I've led a blameless life. And what David is really saying here is, Lord, will you deal with the accusations that are being leveled against me because I believe my integrity is intact. I believe my integrity is intact. I believe that's what he means by I've led a blameless life. I don't believe it means sinless perfection, as later on in the psalm we can see. But he's really saying, my integrity is intact. Lord, you know my heart. You know exactly what's in my mind. And of course that relates to a lot of us, doesn't it? The false accusations that are being said against Christians today is all over the place. That we are withholding the correct information from our children if we believe in the creation of Genesis. That we're homophobic. All kinds of accusations are being leveled against us. I was watching a program last night about uh, Burma. 
and the terrible slaughter of the Buddhists against the Muslims. There's only a, a tiny fraction of Muslims in uh, in uh, in Buddha in Buddha in Burma. But you find a terrible war going on and people being slaughtered right, left and centre. And the same thing happens with Christians. The minority of Christians in a Muslim land being accused of all kinds of things. It gets back to that time when Nero was the emperor and he accused the Christians of being responsible for the great fire of Rome. And so he had them captured and dipped them in tar and set them alight as torches. Terrible things happened to believers. They were falsely accused of various things. And the same thing happens in your life and mine. Sometimes we are falsely accused, even in family life. And sometimes we've got to pray. Lord, will you vindicate me? Because as far as these accusations are concerned, my integrity is intact. You know my heart. And so what's happening here in this particular psalm is that we find a question is being asked. Where do I go when I have all these accusations being leveled at me? And David says, I've gone to the Lord. I've cried out in prayer. Having that integrity in my heart and God knows my heart. I've cried out in prayer, vindicate me, O Lord, because I've led a blameless life. Reminds me of that old psalm I used to hear years ago, Where can I go but to the Lord? And sometimes when we get these false accusations coming at us from family life, we've got to say, Lord, do I open my mouth or I'll keep my mouth shut? Just give me wisdom to deal with these accusations and difficult experiences. And then we find something else regarding that. He says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And it's because of the second part he can say the first part. He can say, I've led a blameless life because I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. I wish we could all say, I never waver. In my devotion and trust for the Lord. But it's not true is it? We do waver from time to time. Especially when difficult things hit us. It's a bit like being in a, a lane of traffic. My wife, she's terrible for this. We get in all these lanes of traffic on the M8 at busy time. And she keeps wanting to go into the next lane. I said, my dear... I said, if you go into that lane, you'll get there just as quick in this lane. That's not going to get you any faster. But she'll go into the next lane. And then she'll pop back into the first lane again. <laughs> and I did a survey once on, on the television to see who would get there quicker. If you stayed in one lane or go into the next one. I can see her wavering between lanes when the traffic is really heavy. Do I stay in this lane or do I go in it? I said, all it requires is patience. Sheer patience. Just wait in this lane and you'll get there just as quick. But you sometimes think that jumping the lanes is better than along the... Maybe some of you do that as well. I don't really know. But it's good to be patient as well. But David says, I've trusted you without wavering. It's good to be able to say that. My trust in you, Lord, has never really wavered. 
And what we find is that David says, I'm going to come before the Lord in prayer. Regarding these accusations, vindicate me, O Lord. You judge my heart. And he goes on to say there, test me, O Lord, in verse 2, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. It's an echo there of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Where can I go but to the Lord? Where can you appeal? You can appeal to the Lord. Because he knows your heart. He knows the integrity of your heart. And he is the one who can put your own heart at rights. It's said of C.H. Spurgeon said this. He says, some talk about truth. But it's better to walk in the truth. Because he says, for, the, for your love is ever before me, he says in verse 3. And I walk continually in your truth. I walk in your truth, he says. I walk continually. And because you have this walking in truth and you trust the Lord without wavering, it doesn't mean you say, you're not going to get these false accusations. It doesn't mean to say you're not having to come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you please judge me? Would you please vindicate me? Because all kinds of things have been leveled at me. But David says, I've been true to your word. I said, I've walked continually in your truth. And C.H. Spurgeon says, some talk about truth, but it's better to walk in it. There's a famous church, you know, in uh, Cambridge, and it's called Holy Trinity Church. And it's famous because of a preacher they had there about 200 years ago. And this preacher was a powerful man. His name was Charles Simeon. And his preaching was known not only in the Cambridge area, but throughout the whole United Kingdom. A fine preacher of the gospel, a great preacher of the word. But the University of Cambridge didn't want him. The way they did, they locked him out of the church. They must have had some authority over that church that he was invited. They locked him out. Well, eventually, when they unlocked the door and let him in, they locked all the pews. In some churches, the pews have, have got these doors. You ever been in one of these churches? In fact, you can't even hardly see over the edge to the next person on the next seat. They locked all the doors and the pews. So anybody coming to hear him, he was... Uh, having to have them standing in the aisles listening to him preach. He was a powerful preacher, Charles Simeon. And there are all kinds of accusations leveled against him. But he carried a New Testament. And he did something you should never do, really. He just flung the New Testament open and asked the Lord for a verse. The first one his finger <laughs> put on. There's various jokes about that. Don't try it by the way. But anyway, he had this New Testament. And he flung it open and said, Lord, give me a verse. And he put his finger on it. And it says, Simon was compelled to carry his cross. Now Simeon is also a word that means Simon. It's like Charles Simon as it were. Simon was compelled to carry his cross. And Charles Simeon took that as a word from the Lord that I'm carrying the cross of Jesus so that I can proclaim the cross as the only means of a very difficult time over there in Cambridge. So the first question is this, where do I appeal 
when false accusations are levelled against us as Christians? And the answer is the Lord. David takes everything to God in prayer. This is a prayer psalm. He takes it in prayer. The second question is, where am I most at home? Look at verses 48. It says, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Where am I most at home? I love the place where you live. The place where your glory dwells. That's where I'm most at home. And for us that speaks of the church of Jesus Christ. That speaks of the community of God's people where God is at the centre. That's why it's so important to be here. To love the place where he lives. Where his glory dwells. I want to be there more than any other place, is what David says. That means God's people. David loved to spend time with God. That comes through in verse 6. I wash my hands in innocence. I go about your altar, O Lord. And verse 8, I love the house where your glory dwells. He speaks of loving being in God's house, a theme that reoccurs again and again in the Psalms. For David, being in God's house meant being in God's presence. Malcolm Muggeridge, you remember Malcolm Muggeridge? He said, I'd rather be wrong with David than right with evil Saul. I'd rather be wrong and pointed out to be wrong in the house of God than to be thought to be right as far as the world is concerned. I want to be in the place where God is present. Is that the desire of your heart? Where am I most at home? And the psalmist says, I'm most at home where your glory dwell. The place where you live and the place where your glory dwell. Here's the third question. Where am I ultimately heading? Look at verses 9 and 10. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. Where am I ultimately heading? Here David speaks of the judgment of sinners. And David knows where these sinners are going to go. Or do not take my soul along with sinners. He knows where they're going to go. Don't take my soul along with them. I refuse to sit with them, he says. And because I refuse to sit with them, I'm not going to dwell with them in eternity. Don't take my soul. The word take away my soul is the word gather up. It reminds us of the wheat and the tares. Remember the wheat and the tares? They're allowed to grow together. And then when the harvest comes, all the tares, all the weeds are taken together and burned with the fire. And David is saying, don't gather up my soul along with the sinners. Because I refuse to sit with them. And here he's made himself aware of his own sinfulness. You'll see there in verse 11, redeem me and be merciful to me. That's why we say that blameless here does not mean sinless perfection. 
But he's thought here of the glorious presence of God. In that glorious presence, he realizes his own sinfulness, his own need of God. And he said, I don't want to sit with that lot of sinners, but I want to sit with those who love the presence of God. Who love for the place where God lives and the place where his glory dwells. Where am I ultimately heading? And that tells us, folks, there's a place that sinners are heading. There's pure gospel here. And we ask the question, where are we heading? Where are we going in our lives? Are we going to be with those who love God in eternity? Or are we going to be with those who are into a lost eternity who are sinners? And David is saying here, don't let my soul go with that lot. I refuse to be part of them here and I don't want to be part of them elsewhere. And sometimes there's all kinds of things come upon us. There's a deceitfulness of the sin of our world today. It's not just other people that sin, have a sinning against the Lord. But it can be television, it can be the internet, it can be some other instrument that is in our home itself. And there's all kinds of temptations. And David is saying, don't class me with that lot. I don't want to sit with them. And we have to put on the full armour of God so we can stand firm against the hostility that Satan and his cohort direct towards us. There's a great challenge to believers. You're a challenge to the unbeliever. Where are you going to spend eternity? Have you asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life? Because the Bible says if you haven't known the Lord as your saviour and as your friend, the one who died for you on the cross, that's where you'll spend eternity. You spend it with sinners. You spend it with those who haven't asked Christ to come and forgive their sin. Where will you spend eternity? The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? David says, redeem me and be merciful to me. That's why God sent his only son to redeem us by his precious blood. Where am I ultimately heading? With the saints or the sinners? And David says in this, don't take me away. Don't take my soul away along with the sinners. And the last question is this. Where am I going to stand? Look at verses 11 and 12. But I lead a blameless life, redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly I will praise the Lord. And what David is actually saying, I'm standing on level ground. I'm sure-footed. I'm standing on the rock. This is the opposite of wavering. It's the person who's on some sort of hilly ground and some dangerous precipice. That's the kind of person who can slip. David says, I'm on level ground. Doesn't scripture says, he makes the mountains low and the crooked path straight. I'm standing on level ground. You're not going to slip. You're not going to fall on that kind of ground. And sometimes we can play with evil. Sometimes we can be on the verge of slipping away. It can happen so easily. This mother heard Willie one day. 
And she says, Willie, where are you? He says, I'm in the pantry. <laughs> Remember the pantry? I'm in the pantry. She says, what are you doing there? He says, I'm fighting temptation. <laughs> the pantry's not the place to fight temptation. Sometimes we can get as close as we can to evil, as close as we can to sin, and we're trying to fight temptation. And that's not the place to fight it. But there's great encouragement for us in this psalm. God never issues a challenge without giving us some encouragement. And the psalm ends with this very positive note. The second part of this final verse also reveals that David knows that his prayer has been answered. He talks about praising God in the great assembly. Now that either means that David says that one day Lord I'm going to be king of this nation and I'm going to lead the people into worship because David wrote all these psalms. There were psalms of praise and of joy. He wrote these psalms and one day I'm going to lead the people in the great assembly and we're going to praise you Lord. Or it could also mean that one day we're all going to be gathered together to praise the Lord in heaven itself. And it reminds me of that part of Revelation 7. And after this I looked and there before me a great multitude that no man could number. From every nation, tribe and people and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down with their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, praise the Lord and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Whence have they come? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever God's people said Amen Amen, Amen. friends the world is hostile towards God's people we're going to be falsely accused I think it's going to get worse as time goes on false accusation. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to us. But have this assurance from him that if we are sincere in our faith, if our integrity is intact, he'll vindicate us. And not only now, but in eternity. Where am I going to stand? The psalmist said, on my feet are on level ground. I'm not about to slip. I'm on very sure ground on the rock itself, on the character of God, and the presence of God, and the faithfulness of God, the promises of God. 
I don't know when this Gallup poll was taken that reveals that fewer than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. We often think of America as more Christianized than, than Britain. Fewer than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians, says pollster George Gallup, who adds that these people are far, far happier than the rest of the population. Committed Christians, Gallup found, are more tolerant than the average American, more involved in charitable activities, are absolutely committed to prayer. While many more Americans than this 10% profess to be Christians, adds Gallup, most actually know little or nothing of Christian beliefs and act no differently than non-Christians. Overall, says Gallup, the Sunday school and religious education system in this country is not working. Christianity, Gallup says, has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. J.K. Chesterton said, It's not what men eat, but what they digest that makes them strong. It's not what we gain, but what we save that makes us rich. Not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learned. And not what we preach, but what we practice. That makes us Christian. Four questions that we need to answer. When we're accused by the world, where are we going to appeal? And David says in the word of the old song, where could I go but to the Lord? Lord, I'm praying. Will you vindicate me? Because I lead a life of integrity. I'm seeking to be faithful. Vindicate me. Where am I most at home? And David says, where the Lord lives and where his glory dwells. That's where I'm most at home, not where sinners sit. Where am I ultimately heading? Not with the destiny of sinners, but eternity with the saints. Where am I going to stand? And David says, my feet are on level ground. I'm not about to slip, I'm not about to fall. I'm on level ground without wavering. And the great assembly, his final note says, I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. The old term said, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plain than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there are questions that we will want to ask when these false accusations come flying at us. Even within the family circle, there will be those who accuse us of being killjoys or whatever they'll accuse us of. But loving God, we thank you that we can turn to you. We can come before you in prayer. And we say, Lord, will you vindicate us? Because we believe our integrity is intact. We're seeking to be faithful. And we thank you that you'll vindicate us not only now, but also in eternity. And in the great assembly, we're going to praise you. We're going to glorify you. We're going to worship you. Help us to begin even here. In Jesus' name. Amen.